Thanks, June. They're wonderful words, aren't they? I could just say amen to that and sit down again, I think. Wonderful, wonderful words. Um, I, I am conscious in having that little bit of a Bible reading that I'm just ripping it out of its context. It's all about us being like Jesus, who was that bit that was read out. Uh, but that little bit that was read out, most likely quoting a, an old song or a hymn of the time, perhaps even penned by Paul himself, um, it was really helpful in terms of our theme tonight, looking at God's mission. Uh, I want to begin with a question for us to consider. And that is, what is the relationship between God and the world that he's created? Some people hold this view that uh, God created the world and kind of left it to run itself. Uh, like the clockmaker who makes a stunning timepiece, winds it up and then just watches as it simply runs itself. I think we're tempted to think that way when our life is in turmoil or when our prayers don't seem to be answered. As one writer put it, where is God when it hurts? Others think that God simply reacts to all the problems as people mess up the world that he's made. Like a dad who, who runs beside the child who's riding the new bike he's just given to them to stop them from falling over and self-destructing. Think about it. You know, God creates this perfect garden. But Adam and Eve, well, they go and muck it up, don't they? So plan A, oh, God clothes them and sends them out of the garden. But, you know, sin takes root and after generation after generation, oh, plan B, let's have Noah and a worldwide flood. But that didn't solve the sin problem, did it? Oh, so on to plan C, the people of Israel. Oh, what a fickle bunch they turned out to be. Uh, and so, you know, perhaps reluctantly, God finally sends his own son to die on the cross and sort out the mess. And, and it certainly worked, didn't it? But what a cost. Uh, and, and some people have that kind of view of the Bible. That God's just kind of reacting to what's going on in the world. A God who, who can't see ahead, can't plan ahead, just reacts to whatever's happening. Can we trust a God like that? A God who seems so, so not in control? Well, the Bible presents a very different picture to that. Here in the scriptures, we have a God who takes the initiative. A God who has had one plan from the very beginning. And he has not moved from it. And he is proactive, not reactive, as he works in and through everyone and everything to bring about his good purposes. So what is his purpose? What is the relationship that God has with the world he's created? Or if you really like alliteration, as I know some of you do, like when I finish a message, some of you are just begging me, please, Pete, give me some more alliteration. I haven't had enough. Um, think of it this way. What is God's mission? What's God's method? And what's God's motivation? Let's pause and pray as we consider these important issues. Almighty God, thank you for the beautiful world you have made. We all benefit from it in so many ways. 
And thank you that you have not left us alone to find our own way in life, but you've given us your word and you sent us your son so that we may understand your world and know you, our maker. Please help us to know you more as a result of spending this time exploring your word together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to work out what God's mission is, I guess the logical thing we'll do is just like start at the start and kind of kangaroo hop our way right through the Bible. It'd be one way to do it. The Bible reading would have been very long, wouldn't it? Um, we could do that. But I learned this great trick in high school English. I'm not a great reader. So I found, just shoot straight to the last chapter. Read the last few pages. That way you know how it ends and you can kind of work out a lot of the story in between. Some of you who are book readers are going to kill me later for saying that. But anyway, um, I do have a saying in my house. Oh, everyone in my family is a book reader except me. So I often uh, like to go around saying, ah, oh, you know, the book really destroys a good movie, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm really in trouble now, aren't I? But I thought this would be a really good approach to today. Shoot to the end, see how it all finishes, see what God's final goal is. And then we'll just zoom back and fill in a few little pieces leading up to it. And the two passages that were read for us really help us see what God's outcome is. God's final goal for the future. In Philippians, God showed us that every person who has ever lived, or will ever live, every person whom God has given life and breath to, are all bowing their knee in submission to Jesus, acknowledging him as Lord of all. Wonderful picture. And then over in that um, passage in Revelation, we see people from every tribe and nation and race and language standing in white robes. Now, that's a way of showing they're clean in God's sight. And if we kept reading through that whole chapter, we'd see that they're clean because of Jesus' blood on the cross. They're standing before God's throne before the Lamb of God. Now these two pictures, glorious pictures, are similar, but they're not the same. There's something hugely important between the two. Hebrews 9.27, Hebrews 9.27 says this, All people are destined to die once, and after that face judgment. You see, you've got all humanity bowing to Jesus... And then, by the time you get to Revelation, you've got all who are washed clean by the blood of Jesus just celebrating joyfully in God's presence forever. But between that is God's judgment. Jesus talked about it quite a lot. It's because he is not only our saviour, but our judge. And he's the perfect judge. He's the perfect judge, perfectly qualified, because he's fully God. He knows everything about everyone. But he's also fully human. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every way, just as we are. He's completely in tune with what it means to be fully human. So when he comes to judge... He understands all the joys and struggles of our lives. And when he gives a verdict, it's accurate, it's fair, it's spot on right. 
But he's also the perfect saviour because he lived a sinless life and so became a perfect substitute taking our sins upon himself so that we could receive God's complete forgiveness. We could receive Jesus' perfect righteousness, perfect cleanness in God's sight forever. Some will bow their knee before Jesus on that day for the first time. And friends, that would be the most terrifying experience, I think. To realise that this Jesus who you'd heard about, perhaps in school, perhaps in Sunday school, perhaps in church, perhaps from a mate at work, this Jesus really is the King of kings and the Lord of the whole universe. And you ignored the message that you heard. But every knee will bow on that day. And yet to others, they will bow their knee, looking not just to the face of their judge, but to the face of their rescuer, their saviour, who gave his life that we might live. So let's have a look at, at God's outcome. His end goal. He's saved people. This is that picture in Revelation. He's saved people, gathered from every tribe, tongue, people and language to live together with him forever, obeying his will and enjoying his blessing forever. It's a wonderful picture. Oh, if you look at it from a human perspective, uh, one day we'll all bow before Jesus, we'll all be judged by him, and all who have been saved by him will be full of joy with him for all eternity. But all who have not been saved will depart from him and be separated from him forever. So what's God's mission in the world today? He's all about saving people. And believe it or not, even though I was down at Nippers setting up this morning for the first day of Nippers, I'm not using any life-saving illustrations today. Oh, I just thought of that. What a missed opportunity. But God is all about life-saving. Uh, he, he's saving lives and he's been doing this the whole way through history. For sure, there's been different stages in his plan throughout that history, but it's all had the one outcome. God's saved people with him forever. I want to look at a couple of quick examples. We're not going to have time to like jump all over the place, but a couple of quick examples. And for the sake of time, I'm going to take them both from the book of Exodus. And they're two quite different uh, examples that feature the same person. Uh, so the setting is the Israelites, slaves in Egypt, Pharaoh, nasty Pharaoh. He's, uh, he's ruthless. He started killing the baby boys. Just a horrific example of ethnic cleansing. And that's when Moses is born. Now I'm going to read a little bit from Exodus chapter 2. And um, I've got two questions for you. This is like Bible study, isn't it? I've got two questions uh, that I'm going to ask you at the end. And this is, how did God save Moses? That's the first question. Oh, they're up on the screen. How convenient. And what did Moses do to deserve being saved? All right, here's the story. I'll, um, I'll abbreviate a little as we go through, uh, but here it is. Now, a man from the tribe of Levi uh, married a Levite woman. 
And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And they saw he was a fine child. Isn't that lovely? Doting parents. Um, and, and they hid him for three months. They were supposed to offer him up to Pharaoh. You know, he would have been killed. But that didn't happen in this case. Uh, but when they could hide him no longer, because uh, boys, they just cry loud, don't they? That's why I only had girls. Um, no. <laughs> Could hide him no longer. She got a papyrus basket for him and uh, coated it with tar and pitch. She placed the child in this basket and put it among the reeds along the bank of the river Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. How would your mum's heart be, mothers? What a scary thing to do. Then Pharaoh's daughter so happened, (laughs) went down to the Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reasons and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby and he was crying, that lovely big boy baby cry. And she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now, she knows what should happen. Chuck him into the Nile River. Get rid of all those Hebrew baby boys. But Moses' sister, who's watching this, comes down and um, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And uh, the princess goes, yes, go. Um, So the girl went and got the baby's mother. (laughs) Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. (laughs) So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older... She took him, the princess took him and, uh, to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of water. Now it doesn't specifically mention God in that story, but we can see God's hand at work and elsewhere we, we hear that that's what's going on here. So let me come to those questions. How did God save Moses? How did God save Moses? Well, he says a a number of events, work and people involved, really, wasn't there? Uh, There was uh, an Egyptian, an Egyptian princess, no less. Now, at this point, they're enemies of God's people, and yet God's hand is at work through them. They probably didn't realize it at the time. Uh, There's Israelites, God's people. Well, Moses' mum and his big sister Miriam did a great job, didn't she? If you're a big sister, there's a good example. Um, and they were acting in faith. Great, great, simple acts of faith. Trusting God, even when the future seemed quite bleak. What did Moses do to deserve being saved? Absolutely nothing. Well, he was just a baby, wasn't he? Did absolutely nothing. Well, when he grew up, I want to have a look at another example of rescue. When he grew up, God used him to save his people, all of them, Uh, in the exodus think about those two questions again Um, how did God save this time insert his people from slavery in Egypt second question what did the Israelites do to deserve being saved well think about it how did God save them from Egypt well we see God's hand at work not just in stubborn Pharaoh but in and through his people, especially Moses, acting in great faith 
He didn't, he didn't want to do it, did he? But he did do it with God's help and God saved his people. But we can see that God used his people to be part of his work of bringing that salvation to, to come to pass. What did the Israelites do to, be, to deserve being saved? Absolutely nothing. They were powerless. They were miserable. And he just chose to rescue them in his great kindness. We're going to jump forward to the New Testament now, Romans chapter 5. This one, I think, is going to be on the screen. It's that wonderful letter where Paul explains God's rescue plan in great detail. Now, we haven't got time to look at the whole thing. It'd be great, but we haven't. Um, just a few verses. Keep in mind the same questions as I read. How are they saved and what do they do to deserve being saved? I'm going to pick up Romans chapter 5 and uh, starting at verse 6. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died from us, died for us. So how does God save us from sin? Through the death of Christ on the cross. What have we done to deserve being saved? Absolutely nothing. Oh, we, we offered our sin. <laughs> Great help that was. So I put Jesus on the cross. We were powerless, says verse 6. Verse 8 says, while we were still sinners, not even interested in God, backs turned to God. That's when God saved us. We contributed nothing. Reminds me of the words of that hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Go back to the first question though. How does God save us from sin? We're saved entirely by Jesus, aren't we? But how did the Romans hear about Jesus? Through God's people. People like the Apostle Paul in great acts of, of faith and boldness, sometimes in the face of great opposition and severe persecution at times, they joined God in his mission by spreading the good news that God is saving people from every nation, including Rome, the heart of the empire at the time, every nation, every tribe, every language group. Jesus is the message. But we, his people, are the messengers. What's God's mission? God's mission is to save people. And what's his method? His method is sending Jesus to die on the cross for their sin so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And did you notice his motivation? It's there in verse 8. His love for us. His extraordinary love. Got time for one more example over in Ephesians chapter 1, this time it'll be on the screen as well. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up at verse 3. 
Paul writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is a guy who's really grateful to God to be saved, right? <laughs> She's exploding with praise. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Get that? One master plan from the very beginning, the whole time, God's been working it. And what is that plan? Well, before the creation of the world, to make us holy and blameless in his sight. He's all about rescuing people from slavery to sin and setting us free to be God's people. He goes on. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. That's his method. He saves people how? Through the blood of Christ. And he goes on a little bit further down. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So this is looking to that end goal. This is God's outcome. What is it? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's the same as that Philippians picture, isn't it? Everything in all of creation in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we jump down a few verses more, he says this, and you also, And he's saying this to believers. So you're a believer in Christ here this morning. This is to you. And you also were included in Christ when you, when you what? Heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You see, Jesus is the message, but we are the messengers. I remember speaking in a church a number of years ago about the whole idea of sharing our faith. We were doing a seminar you know, for, for one-hour sessions. on, and, and I started by saying this. Hand up if you've got... No, you don't have to put your hands up. Uh, this is for illustration. Um, hand up uh, anyone who's got a fam- family member or a friend who doesn't yet know Jesus. <laughs> like it. everyone had their hand up. And then I said this. Hands down... If you are absolutely convinced that God is going to use someone else to tell them about Jesus. Um, To their credit, everyone left their hands up. (laughs) Friends, what's God's mission? God's mission is to save people from all over the world to be with him forever. What's his method? Sending Jesus to die on the cross. And rising again to give us the hope and assurance of eternal life. What's his motivation? He's motivated by his deep love for us. And if this is God's mission, is it your mission? Where do you fit in? I think the first part of the answer to that question is this. If you have not yet bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, do it today. Do it today. Don't put it off. None of us know when we're going to meet him as our judge. But when we do, we want to be certain, absolutely certain, that we know him as our saviour because we've bowed our knee to him as our Lord this side of eternity, which gives us absolute confidence for eternity.
Secondly, if you know that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, you have that absolute certainty about your eternal future, why not get him on with the job of telling others how they can be certain as well? Share your story of the difference Jesus makes in your life. We can't save a single person, but we can tell them how to be saved. So friends, are you on board with what God is doing in the world today? Or are you aligned with some other plan? God's on a mission to save people. Are you saved? Are you on mission with him?